Hello, and welcome to By Design, a podcast from Scout, Northeastern University's student-led design organization. I'm Sam Marchese. And I'm Roman Stefano. By Design is a podcast that furthers understanding of design topics that impact all of us. On this episode, we ask the question, why rebrand? We talk to Mike Swartz, principal at Upstatement, about their work rebranding Northeastern University. Upstatement is a digital design studio based in Boston. They work on many different types of projects, often centered around branding, web, and product design. They hope to create products and experiences that promote meaningful change. Hey, Sam. Hey, Roman. What's up? How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, I'm good. Yeah. Why don't we give some context for the people listening? (laughs) Yeah, we are currently in the midst of a pandemic. Hey. Um, And we are recording this at home on Roman's bed. Yeah, so we made a little makeshift studio in my bedroom. I taped a blanket to the wall uh, for soundproofing. Um, Yeah, so we're still chipping away (laughs) at this podcast, having a blast making it, and we're excited for you guys to hear this episode. Yeah, episode two. um, This is a fun one. We talked with Mike from Upstatement about rebranding. A lot of good stuff in that conversation. And yeah, it was fun. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. My name is Mike Swartz. I'm a principal at Upstatement. I started Upstatement a little over 12 years ago with two partners, uh, and now we have five principals at Upstatement. This one was mostly a graphic design project with, you know, capital G, capital D. So I kind of, uh, we don't really have a process for that at Upstatement, to be honest with you. So that was why it sort of fell into my lap as like, you know, hey, you wanted to do it, here it is. But whenever you're working on something like that, like it's such a tight, tightrope act because like people are invested in it. Like it's not just a, it's not just a brand that's going in your portfolio. It's like something that everyone has to interact with every day. Like you guys have to look at it on campus. And if it's bad, you're going to be like, man, shit sucks. I wish someone didn't make that bad. And I'm the guy who would have made it bad. And so I think about that, you know, and I definitely, I, you know, I think about Upstatement's reputation and our work, you know, I, I, we, we want our reputation to be great and really kind of like known for, for great work. Um, and we also want to make the client happy and we also want to do the right thing for the community. And sometimes those things are not in balance. So Sam, imagine you were rebranding a university. What kind of things would you think about? Hmm. Well, there's definitely a lot to consider. Um, There's all of the signage in the school around the campus, um, all the sports like uniforms and stadiums and things like that. There's a lot of stuff that I would think about if I was rebranding a university, especially with a school that has been around for a while and has an established look and feel and um, like place in a community. I think changing it all of a sudden would be really daunting and you want to make sure that it's not too far off from that brand that people know and love. A lot of this project was actually finding the vision and trying to figure out uh, what was Northeastern's brand and in which ways did it need to change and that was that was what was interesting about where this project started. The communications office came to us with a relatively small and 
uh, it, it turned out not to be a super straightforward request, which is why what precipitated this entire project. Um, but they wanted to update the seal. So Northeastern has satellite campuses and different places around the country and the world. Um, and the old seal said Boston, Massachusetts, uh, and it had the, the type ring, um, and it had a torch uh, and a book with the, the sort of Latin motto on it. We wanted to update it, but we also wanted to improve some things about it. And if you ever look back at the history of the seals, you had a bunch of different versions of the seal between 1917 and 1936. Um, they're sort of in the same motif, and honestly, like they follow a lot of uh, similar things from, from other colleges. Um, and the, the actual type that's in the ring was drawn by hand. Um, so it, obviously they didn't have uh, the type on a path tool back in, uh, back in the day. So someone actually had to draw it. Um, and that's why it looks very cool. At some point around maybe in the 70s, maybe a little later, someone actually did discover the type on a path tool. In the 70s, it was probably cut out and kind of spaced there. But it started to lose a little bit of its quality. And there's another seal floating around from the previous era that looked like very MS Word, um, and it really kind of lost all the meaning. Like all the symbols were there, it just didn't feel great. So we were like, okay, we need to make sure that doesn't happen again. That was the original ask. And we realized that Northeastern specifically, and universities probably more generally, need some sort of space to be opened up between academics and athletics. So there were very strong brands on both ends. So the seal represents a very academic um, brand motif. It's on, you know, commencement is all about the seal. It's on your diplomas. It's all over the president's office. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a great symbol of your heritage and history and, you know, everything it means to graduate from Northeastern. On the other side of the spectrum, you had the Northeastern Huskies and all of the energy that goes into athletics. And that was sort of doing its own thing. That was like very limited and so we looked at the the brand as like what would we want as designers if we were trying to make our mark on the northeastern campus but also um, create things that we would call like lifestyle um, type brands brand things like the tote bags and the uh, you know sweatpants or water bottles or brand like clubs and things like that so like what tools could we give northeastern's community to kind of have a have a unified voice beyond just the academics or the athletics okay so roman i know that with scout you've actually led a team of designers and developers through a rebrand um and i was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experience with that kind of just go through like what the project was what kind of things you needed to consider so i worked on my first rebrand um about like six months ago and I worked with this um, student venture called Literacy Movement for More and they had an existing brand that was a little outdated and definitely needed some updating so when I was going into it I wanted to kind of keep the same um, feel of the brand that they had because it was very comforting and welcoming because it's a literacy nonprofit. so I wanted to keep that same energy, keep it colorful and warm, um, but definitely update it for the current time and make it a lot more accessible to a wider audience and a more professional audience. Honestly, having an existing brand to work off of was actually kind of challenging because it was like kind of a constant battle between wanting to make it feel different from that existing brand and not borrowing existing elements, but also wanting to make it feel different enough that it could kind of come out on its own as a new thing. 
Let's get back to Mike. Um, and so we really wanted to make sure it wasn't derivative of anyone else, but we wanted it to be um, to feel extremely kind of high end. Um, and what we also saw with some of the previous branding was that it felt very derivative of things like Boston University. And it's also probably because you're another Boston University, um, you know, who also had red as a primary color and was using a Baskerville-ish uh, typeface. Um, and it looked very BU, to be honest. And so we also wanted to separate from some of those brands. Um, you know, there were three schools in Boston that were using red, at, maybe four if you count BC, um, as, as one of their primary colors. Uh, and so that was where we also went with the color strategy, was to try to separate and provide some distance and honestly give Northeastern a brand that nobody else in higher ed would uh, would have the guts to do. So just to wrap up the, the origin story, we sketched out like a, a version of this and we just, it was done with pencil sketches at first and then it was sort of an illustrator and we just started goofing around with it, but honestly doing some stuff that, um, that, that was really crazy. Um, it was it, like intentionally, we do that up sometimes, like we'll do off the wall stuff to sort of provoke our clients into thinking like, could I put this suit on? Um, and the president saw it and he liked it a lot. Uh, and that is what precipitated all the work on the project. Cause that was essentially the, the pitch, uh, air quotes that, uh, that kicked off the project in earnest that ended up touching kind of everything across the campus. Okay, so why don't we give a little color breakdown real quick. Um, so the primary colors used in Northeastern's branding are black and white, and then there are also pops of red, and sometimes um, there's this gold color that's also used. It's like a warm, rusty color. Um, then there are also secondary colors that Upstatement um, sort of outlines on their case study on their website, which range from neutral to really vibrant and bold. So gold was one of the like one of the the main colors used black and red and um, and the sort of gold metallic um, color. Uh, the, the actual idea behind that was uh, that there was a whole range of materials. We really wanted Northeastern to use natural materials as uh, as sort of a counterpoint in the in the brand because there's so much construction going on and there's like in the brand book, we use a lot of marble and some swirls of some like really cool rock and mineral textures. Um, and we actually thought that that was kind of a nice thing to do. I always like to do that if I'm making my own palette. I like to sort of look at a material palette and less think about the colors that would come out of Figma or, or Sketch or something that is like very computery and look into the world. And especially if you're going to brand something that goes into the built environment and say, what materials pair well with this? Especially textiles are really nice. But also, I think in the case of when you're building buildings, um, there's, there's really great kind of like hardscape materials that can be part of it and really think about how the light plays on these things. And so that was the idea. Again, very tough to get across in a brand book, especially uh, when it needs to be reduced to like a Photoshop uh, sort of tile uh, or, a, or a hex code. Um, it doesn't come with all the the sort of ideas behind it. Um, but that that was one of the things we were trying to do. It got a little, it got some, I think some fair criticism because people were like, you know, is it supposed to seem expensive? And is it supposed to be like, you know, Prada? And we were like, well, not not all the way, uh, but a little bit, I think, uh, and I think that's part of the part of the premium nature of it. But we really didn't want it to feel exclusive, and that, I would say that was one of the 
that's one of the tough things about luxury. Um, you know, luxury brands do do a lot of things really well, especially with like their sort of forward thinking and they're they're really bold. And that was honestly one of the things we wanted to inspire Northeastern with, with was to be bold and brave. And I think they fully accomplished that. But we also needed to make sure that it felt uh, accessible and inclusive just because of who Northeastern is. The typography, um, specifically the spear custom typeface that was made for this project, is pretty funky actually for a university. This is a serif typeface and a lot of the characters are pretty wide and have some rounded elements to them. Looking at the actual words Northeastern University set in spear, you can kind of see a lot of the more uh, experimental aspects of this typeface. For example, the E is on a tilt along with the O. Some of the edges are really drastic. Ultimately, there's a lot of experimental things going on in this typeface, like tilted letters and wide letter forms that really make it feel unique and gives it a sense of character that you really wouldn't expect for a classic university typeface. Yeah, totally. The typeface is one of my favorite parts of it. So Jesse Reagan uh, was a typographer and he really helped us creatively just explore the, just explore what's possible with a typeface like that. Um, in, you know, the problem to solve and the reason we went to a custom typeface, first of all, was the, the typeface in the seal was more or less hand-drawn. And so there's nothing uh, off the shelf that really worked well. Like the R would be different, especially the, the R was a, was a little bit of a problem in there because there's nothing like exactly the same. So we were kind of like, we're going to custom typeface anyway. Now let's like get the most out of it by pushing it. Um, so it was really fun to work with him because his process was very uh, much involved sketching and showing us different uh, different sort of contact sheets of, of uh very like small limited characters at first so it's not the whole a a through z um, at the beginning but it's just like some really uh characteristic and especially the the characters that were going to be in the word northeastern so we looked at a lot of n's and a lot of r's um looked at uppercase and sort of caps case and uh and then sentence case um and it's funny these decisions are so small these are the things that like normal people don't see or like when we rolled the brand out uh most people liked it. Some of the athletics, some of the sports uh, heads on Reddit were like, why would you rebrand and make a sports team have Times New Roman as the uh, as the typeface? And I was like, well, it's not really Times New Roman, but you kind of have a point. Um, so it, it was, we really wanted to find our own style and our own character. Um, we didn't want it to feel trendy. This has to last decades, if not more, um, for Northeastern. So we couldn't really hang our hat on a trend. But we wanted to do some fun things like um, like the, the sort of like upward tilt in the E uh, and things like that, I think, give it character. And I think character is what makes it feel fun, sort of uh, memorable. Like, And I think that's one of the things that most, if I had to kind of criticize most higher ed brands, they're just boring, to be honest. Um, and sometimes they're boring because they're like, okay, I guess like Yale has never had a new brand for a while or whatever. Um, and I guess it makes sense, but the thing I like about Northeastern just generally is that they take chances and they've really been uh, been like making big things happen. And I think they brought that to the identity and to the rebrand. And that was why it was a really fun brief to work on. And then making the custom typeface um, just gave us more chances to just make it really original. Um, I think more people should do that. It's also the great kind of cornerstone of a design system that's recognizable across campus and especially across your digital interfaces. Here are Mike's final notes about the Northeastern rebranding project. 
So definitely we want it to be connected to the sort of the, the Northeastern that everybody knows. We didn't want it to feel like the Northeastern that you knew one year ago or one day ago has been wiped away and now a new thing has come in its place. So finding connection that was authentic to the campus and to the culture was really important. And I think that's always probably the most important ingredient in getting uh, getting people to adopt and like and see the value in what, what you've done. If the value of the new brand is sort of immediately apparent in some way, um, then I think people are more primed to like it. And then they're more accepting of some of the things you're doing that might be, uh, you know, more provocative or edgy. And so if that's done without a sort of uh, rooting in what they're used to, then they don't feel like it's been improved in any way. They just feel like it's different and weird. And that's when the defenses go up and you're like, what, why, why is this happening to me? <laughs> Hi, I'm Kayla Chow, and I'm a member of Scout. All right, so now we are joined by Kayla, who is going to tell us a bit about a rebrand that did not go too hot. <laughs> hey, Kayla. Hi. <laughs> um, so the rebranding that I chose to talk about for this failure today is the Gap rebrand. Ooh. I don't know if you ever heard of that one. I haven't. You haven't? No. It's I'm probably familiar. It's probably like the rebrand that has gone down in history as like the worst rebrand that has ever happened. Um, But so just to give a little history, Gap was founded in 1969 in San Francisco and their original logo was actually different from the one that we know now, which is something I learned and it was really cool. Their original logo was like very simple, very round. It was just the type, there was no box or anything. Um, And then in 2010, on October 6th, Gap (laughs) unveiled their new logo which only lasted three days, sorry, not three days, six days. Oh my god. <laughs> so it was their first re- rebrand since 1988, and it came with no warning. There was no campaign, no reveal or anything. Wow. And they just, like, replaced the logo. So at the time, Marka Hansen was the North America president of Gap, and she claimed that the new logo was just a way of crowdsourcing and was trying to use the internet as a way to, like, get feedback about the logo and the branding Mm. and it just went horribly wrong um it cost them a hundred million dollars apparently which is a lot of money for such a failed crowdsourcing project um and the customers called it cheap tacky and ordinary um the new logo which i'm not sure you've even seen because it only lasted such a short period of time is just the letters GAP gap in Helvetica with a little blue oh, like square on on top of the P and it was they like she claimed that they were trying to keep it contemporary and current with Helvetica and having like a really clean modern typeface um but honoring the heritage through this like little blue box that they put above the P um but it did not go over well the design community unleashed <laughs> um, so when they um, released the logo, a Twitter account at the time was set up in protest and collected 5,000 followers. So they really like heard from the community, and in six days, they decided to revert back to the old brand, which some argue created a sense of loyalty among the customers because they were like they knew that they were being heard and they wanted their original brand identity back, and so Gap gave it back. And I think that created a sense of like appreciation and like just loyalty to the brand in general. 
there was a number of parody sites that went up for it. Um, <laughs> so you can make, there was a site that was Make Your Own Gap logo that went viral and collected 14,000 parody versions of the logo because it was such a failure. <laughs> um, so Gap admitted that they handled it poorly and reverted the logo back to the original one six days later. So there was a really interesting quote that I read from Craig Smith, who is a marketing expert, and he was interviewed in the BBC News magazine that says, um, where marketers often go wrong is they think that they have identified an opportunity for the brand to evolve and become something else and become more modern. And they think that they can shortcut this by changing the visual identity and carry the customers with them. And that's often the issue is because the customers may not be ready for this new identity. You can't go ahead and not change the product, but change the identity and just say that you're evolving and modernizing because customers will see that it's not reflected in the brand. You can't just choose uh, choose to change your visual identity and use it as like a shortcut to say that you are evolving and changing without reflecting that in any way in, in the company. Another thing to learn that people really took away from this failed rebrand is that you should never underestimate your customer's grasp of graphic design because people know when it doesn't feel right even if they don't have a lot of knowledge of graphic design is you can really tell when a brand went forward with something and had no idea where they were going with it yeah that's really interesting i feel like i've seen so many companies that just like as a rebrand make their logo and their whole identity just like flatter like taking out any sort of dimension or like character to their logo and their typefaces and stuff and just like making it super flat and clean and sleek mm -hmm. like I've seen that so many times um and it just it doesn't mean anything like it's so yeah. insignificant that's something interesting we learned about in identity and brand too is that she introduced this term that I hadn't heard before called blanding, which is just like, wow. there's this sort of this movement currently of like branding that has no character to it. You know, it's just because in an effort to like modernize, um, cause it, like in our minds currently the modern modernization of design right now is often like minimal or like, you know, choosing your Helvetica typeface with just the letters and that's it. And that's something that you see a lot in like trendy packaging is just text on packaging. And that's something that's like really interesting. I think blanding is like such a good way of putting it, but it's just bland. Yeah. I love branding. that. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling out a brand this big across campus is very tricky and something that we really um, you know, didn't have a lot of experience in. The communications office was great about it, and they were really good at sort of, uh, you know, I think they did a good job organizing the actual rollout on campus and organizing everything that had to happen from like, you know, like melting the ice in Matthews and kind of getting all the stuff painted in the right places, which is just, it's a crazy amount of work to get all that stuff done. You know, you were switching, um, like I think Under Armour was making the new jerseys. And so all that stuff had to go out to embroidery and the season was about to get started. So people were calling me up, like when it started to become real, people were calling me up being like, the ice is getting melted. We need the absolute final version of the Husky. And I was like, holy shit, <laughs> this is happening. One of the things that I think about actually um, is like the diploma. Like when you graduate from Northeastern, the brand is going to be on your diploma for a while and you're going to be really proud of that and everyone in your family is going to be proud of it and it shouldn't look like 
someone, uh, you know, an illustrator made a cool typography. That, that's not the thing you should look at when you see it on, on the wall in 60 years. Um, and I think that's the, one of the things that we want to be really careful with. It made us honestly more conservative in some places because we were like, hold on, we don't want to feel like we didn't want to go crazy uh, with it. So I honestly don't know. I think everyone is their own. Uh, everyone has kind of their own thing. And I think that like this brand is is less of a probably a larger trend and more like it was the the right perfect thing to for Northeastern to do at that period of time um, and to sort of like capture the energy of where you guys are now that's different for for many other schools um, so I kind of if, if someone else came to us right now and they were like give us the northeastern treatment uh, we would kind of try to be like well who are you and what's your story right now and, and what's your sort of opportunity um, so so yeah and that, that's at least our approach but you know I wouldn't be surprised if somebody tries to uh, tries to take your end or anything like that we asked Mike if he had any advice for designers conducting a rebrand. Um, so the advice, I guess, if I had to, if I had to dispense advice, would be just to like, you know, not always work within the the bounds of the problem statement you're given, and try to not just intentionally break rules to be like, ha you told me to make it blue and I made it red, um, and that's my big statement here. But to sort of say, well, based on what you're trying to do generally outside of the context of this brief. How could I make that better? And how could I be creative with that? And how could I bring, how could I inspire you, my client, um, with some of the things I can make? Uh, so that that was something that we had a lot of fun with, was just like inspiring the client to, to be really bold and showing them a vision. Um, it's, it's really about, I think it's about expanding the definition of creativity and thinking of the things that you make on screen or with a pen or paintbrush that's like that's your craft and that's your sort of like that's the way you express your ideas but the creativity is pretty much all between the ears and it's really about inspiring your client as to like why they should change their rules so it's not even like breaking it it's just like change your conception of what you're trying to do here and that's the sort of like strategic shift that creates really good work i think Thanks, Mike and Kayla, for those great conversations. More episodes of By Design will be coming out in the near future, so keep an eye out wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to By Design. See you next time. By Design is written and produced entirely by students from Scout. Wow, that was really cool. Yup, I have to go eat rice. Okay. <laughs> Bye. All right, see you next time. <laughs>